Many of the podcasts in the Great Writers Inspire project seek to indicate ways in which readers can engage critically with texts, themes and authors in order to find great writing inspiring. Just as those who read literature find writers and their works fascinating, so writers in their turn find other writing fascinating. Writers generally are prolific readers, for it is in the pages of other books that many authors learn to glory in the minutiae of literary writing, just as they hope their own readers will do. So revealing to scholars are authors' reading habits that many authors bequeath not only their letters, manuscripts and diaries to university libraries, but often their whole personal library. The Irish modernist James Joyce is one such example, and Michael Gillespie's catalogue of James Joyce's Trieste Library from 1986 gives an insight into the reading habits of the bibliophilic author who collected 623 volumes over 20 years in Trieste. Virginia Woolf's personal library is also interesting because it includes four volumes that she rebound herself. Two volumes of Jacques-Emile Blanche's Cahiers d'un artiste, Ottoline Morel's A Farewell Message and Alfred Vigny's Journal d'un Poète. The time and effort Woolf would have taken to recover these books indicates that they may have been well loved and well used. Many of the other podcasts in this series situate writers and their works within political and social contexts or relate how the author's own life experiences may have impacted on their writing and how it was received. These aspects are undoubtedly important, but it is also worth considering how certain texts respond not just to social, personal and political contexts, but also to literary contexts. How do literary texts respond to other literary texts? Charlotte Bronte's 1847 novel, Jane Eyre, could be an interesting starting point on our journey. This well-known novel charts the life of the title heroine, first revealing her childhood with abusive aunts and cousins and later at the oppressive Lowood School. She then becomes a governess at Thornfield Hall, where she falls in love with her employer, Edward Rochester. He proposes marriage, but when it is revealed that he is already married to Bertha, who is now incarcerated as a madwoman in the attic, Jane leaves Thornfield and is taken in by some relations the religious Rivers family. The man of that house also proposes marriage, which would make Jane a missionary's wife, but she can't accept this offer and returns to a changed Thornfield. Rochester's first wife has set the house on fire and killed herself, and so Jane accepts a proposal of marriage from the injured Rochester. The final chapter opens, Reader, I married him, and that, as far as the romance narrative goes, should be that. Except, it isn't the end of the novel's own tale. The story of Jane Eyre was so poignant that it influenced the creation of other works. Daphne du Maurier's 1938 novel, Rebecca, is one example of a tale heavily inspired by Bronte's novel. The second wife of Mr de Winter, the new Mrs de Winter, finds she can't live up to her predecessor, undermined by a villainous housekeeper called Mrs Danvers, until the naughty and disturbing truth of the matter outs. In 1966, Jean Rhys also published a novel inspired by the events of Jane Eyre. Wide Sargasso Sea is a post-colonial prequel which takes the tale of the mad first wife, Antoinette, who would become known as Bertha, 
as its sympathetic protagonist, covering her early life in Jamaica, the early years of her marriage to Edward Rochester in Dominica, and her time in the attic of Thornfield Hall. Wide Sargasso Sea is a very different novel to Jane Eyre, reflecting the growing concern with feminism and post-coloniality in novels, but the tale couldn't exist, or at the very least wouldn't have the same meaning, without that first text as its source of inspiration. There are many, many other novels which have been influenced or inspired by Jane Eyre, and one of the reasons to read great writing is to recognise its influence when it appears. Jane Eyre has moved with the times and has even been retold in the horror mashup genre, which is popular today, with the heroine recast as a vampire slayer in the 2010 novel Jane Slayer. Yet the tale of the literary afterlife of Bronte's novel is but one facet of the tale. Bronte herself was influenced by romantic poets such as William Wordsworth and Lord Byron, and she and her sisters read novels from their father's library, including the works of Sir Walter Scott and John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. The family also subscribed to Blackwood's magazine, and they shared their own work amongst themselves to proofread or offer advice. Inspiration is described in dictionaries such as the Oxford English as a kind of prompting, awakening, or even an absorption or inhalation. For writers, however, the kind of inspiration which comes from great writers can be seen to be more antagonistic. The presence of great writing is problematic for an aspirant creator because if greatness already exists, the challenge in creating more is increased since it will be judged by a gold standard. The reading which writers do is a dangerous endeavour because they run the risk of being influenced too much and being accused thereby of imitation or derivation rather than the much grander state of literary originality and innovation. Yet by studying a work in close detail, writers can hope not merely to imitate it but to inhabit the greatness which created it and in doing so attempt to outdo the achievement of the first work. Wilfred Owen, one of the great poets of the First World War, spent much of his youth imitating the poetry of the romantic John Keats in a manner akin to hero worship. His early poems, such as On Seeing a Lock of Keats's Hair, are clearly derivative of Keats's own poetry, in this case the ode Lines on Seeing a Lock of Milton's Hair. In 1915, the year he enlisted, Owen wrote that the only thing that would hold him together would be the sense that I was perpetuating the language in which Keats and the rest of them wrote. Yet it was the influence of the Great War and of the slightly older poet Siegfried Sassoon which brought Owen's work away from this imitative mode and into the much stronger and individual voice of his later war poetry. The critic Harold Bloom wrote in 1973 about the anxiety of influence. He claimed that poets are essentially hindered in writing by the presence of precursor poets. The poet in a poet is inspired to write by reading other poets, and that work will be weak and anxiety-ridden until the younger writer can forge an original vision by wrestling with their influences. This process, Bloom contends, is what separates the minority of strong or great writers from the rest of the literary field. It is inspiration and influence, and how writers address them, that effectively create great writers and the literary tradition. 
For T.S. Eliot, the poet, editor and critic, inspiration and influence are not necessarily a damaging force. In his 1919 essay, Tradition and the Individual Talent, Eliot claims that a poet must embody the whole of the literature of Europe from Homer, as well as responding to the contemporary context. In this theory, poets don't have to be original because of their difference from other writers, but rather in truly great poetry, all the writers of history live through the new writing, asserting their immortality most vigorously. Whether or not you feel that inspiration and influence is a haunting or a battle to overcome, what seems clear is that while influence and inspiration can be a troubling and antagonistic relationship for great writers, as readers, situating works within the context of other related works can be stimulating. Jean Rees's Wide Sargasso Sea, without Charlotte Bronte's Air, would be a lesser text. And at the same time, for modern readers, Air is a lesser text without Jean Rees's backstory. Great writers inspire great writing, which means, perhaps, future generations have much to look forward to. Thank you for listening. <laughs>